0: Invite us all to stay standing for a moment and we want to pray. And God, as we come before you today, the, the lyrics of that song uh, they so resonate in my heart. As I look at our country. I look at uh, the tumult that we've seen this week. We've looked we've looked at the loss of life. And Lord, we just want to declare to you today as your people, we need you. We need you. Lord, as we look at this conflict, we look at the racism, the injustice, we look at the anger and the hatred that is being displayed. We just ask, Father, that you would help us as your people as we declare our need in you, that you would help us to know how to respond. That even though those things seem like they're far away, that each one of us, that we can influence our world, and then as our world is influenced, it can influence another piece of the world, which influences another piece of the world, and we do it in the name of Jesus. Lord, as we look at what's happening, uh, as I've thought about this, that uh, what can we do? Well, as your word says, that we can weep with those who weep. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to have empathy for those who have lost loved ones and continue to lose loved ones to violence. That there are mothers and fathers and brothers and sisters, their children, grandparents, who today, because of what we saw this week, are in deep grief, sadness, God. And Lord, I pray that you would sensitize our hearts to what's happening. That we wouldn't become calloused because it just seems like, oh, there's another shooting. There's another, there's another, there's another. But inside, we'd say, no, no. And we'd cry out again our need for you. And God, we ask you to move. We ask you to move for justice. We ask you to move that in a way that would bring a true love, a true acceptance for each other. And Lord, I pray that it would begin in each one of us individually here. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let me have a seat now. It's been a tough week, right? Some of the things we've seen, that we've witnessed, and it's not just this week, but it seems to be just a culmination of what has been happening. Uh, well, I'm just so glad that you're here today. Uh, we get to have communion here in a little bit. That's one of the thrills for me. But this is the end of our series that we've been in on uh, called Free Pursuing the Grace Life as we've gone through the book, the New Testament book of Galatians. And uh, I hope that you've seen in this, just as I've learned in this, that wow, what a pivotal letter Paul wrote. And, and I've been surprised at the depth uh, of this, but also I've been surprised at the impact in my life uh, as I've gone through this study and have learned so much more about grace, so much more about legalism, so much more about where I uh, want to pursue more of the grace life, uh, about being made right with God because of Jesus, and that when God looks at me, he sees... I've just learned so much in this series, uh, and I pray that you have as well. As we've gone through it. And I've either been able to speak or listen to every message that was done. I know that many of you have schedules that don't allow you to do that, but just encourage you that you can go back online anytime you miss, and they're all archived, and you can watch the full service or just the message, whatever you want to do. Uh, uh, And I just encourage you to do that in case you've missed some of these. Uh, But Paul is writing to a group of Christians, he's writing to a church uh, and a region of uh, what's called Galatia and that would be modern-day Turkey today. And he's writing a letter. This is one of the hard things about this study is he's writing a letter of correction. So what that means is there have been times when that we've heard words of correction uh, from Paul and about what he would say about how you and I live this grace life. But specifically, he's writing to a group of people that he labels as the Judaizers. And the Judaizers were a group of Jews Uh, Who were struggling, okay? They had accepted the fact that Jesus was the Messiah and that they accepted the fact that they could be made right with God by believing in what Jesus had done for them on the cross. But they were just having this extremely difficult time, uh, believing that they still didn't need to keep the ceremonial laws that they had kept all of their lives and that the nation had kept for centuries. And they were just struggling with this concept of, do I no longer need to keep these laws? And they were being invited into this environment with everything was about Christ alone. So what they were doing is they were coming behind Paul. Okay, So this is why he's writing a letter of correction. They were coming behind Paul, and they were saying, great, Paul is awesome. Paul just has it all wrong. And so what you have to do, because Paul has it wrong, is that here's a list of rules, and we need to go back, and we have to keep the Jewish regulations, the ceremonial rules, and especially circumcision. So they became known as the people of circumcision. And Paul was writing to correct their thinking, and basically I'll just say this theology. And he wants it to be very clear. And what we've seen in this is that if you make anything other than Jesus, if you place anything else above Jesus as being needed to be accepted by God, and what you're saying is that what Jesus did is not enough. That's basically what you're saying. And instead of acceptance by God and approval by God through faith, what you're saying now is that it has to be by my works or my observances, or we've made it real clear, my religious acts in order to be acceptable. So, what I'm seeing is that what Paul is saying is that Jesus plus something equals nothing. So anytime you add something to Jesus, it equals nothing. But Jesus plus nothing equals everything, everything that life brings. And today we wrap up Paul's words, and what we're going to look at is the things that we can boast in, then we're going to have communion together. So I'm going to invite you first to grab your message notes. They look like this. And you can follow along. All the Bible verses will be here. Love to be able to see you take some notes today. While you're grabbing that, grab your connection card because you're going to need that in a little while as well. And your Bible, open it to Galatians chapter 6, okay? Galatians 6. And we're going to be jumping in with verse 11 today. And what I want to say is if you don't own a Bible, our church would love for you to have a Bible in your home that you can read on your own the words that God would say to you. So there's a bookshelf in the lobby. Bibles on there. You just take one. It's our gift to you today. Now, if you were here for the first week uh, of the series, you'll remember I started with a question. The question is, would you like to have more joy in your life? Would you like to have your joy renewed or restored? And I used a video clip to give us an example of what pure joy might look like. And it was of a grandma and her first video ride, I mean, uh, roller coaster ride. You remember this? How many of you were here that week? Several of you were here. Many of you weren't. And so uh, on that week, it was an—it's just an amazing clip where she has her first roller coaster ride ever, and she gets to the end and she goes, "Is my hair messed up?" <laughs> that was her response. But she has so much fun, and we all loved watching that. Well, I thought today, just to bring us back to this concept that the book is about joy, that we'd have another moment where we reflect on the joy that a person could have in a really simple moment. And so we're going to look at a little one, a little guy, and the joy he has from tearing. Newspaper. Let's watch this. so many times this week and just laughed and laughed and laughed. And, you know, just watching that. And one of the thoughts I had was this, is that uh, with joy, you can have joy in spite of a few bumps. And that also, uh, here's the thing, only a dad would not have moved the child, okay? Uh, just think about that. Just let it just bang its head on everything around. Only a dad would do that. <laughs> So, I want us to begin, if we could, let's read our theme verse together, Galatians five one. we We've done it every week, and just read it out loud together, okay? So, it's on the screen. Let's read. Ready to go. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. So, what Paul is doing in Galatians, he's taking us back to the basics of Christianity. And the key foundation of the Christian faith is grace. And the message of Galatians for us is this, God has set you free by grace now live a life of grace live a life of freedom and of joy and grace and one of the books that I've recommended in our pastor's picks are several on uh, Galatians and grace in our bookstore but one of them is a commentary by a man named Tim Keller and he has a quote about grace and he defines it this way grace is the entry point to the way to continue with and all we ever need in the Christian life. So that's the importance of grace. And then last week, I kind of described it this way it's the unconditional, God given, Son initiated, Spirit delivered power to live the life God's called us to live. And that's what grace is. That's what he does for us. So let's just begin. We're going to jump right in. Verse 11, chapter 6. See with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. by which the world has, crucif- has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And as for all those who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers and and sisters. Amen. So Paul begins with verse 11, and he begins this way, see with what large letters I am writing to you, and he says with his own hands. So most of the letters that Paul wrote were were, um, transcribed, where he had a scribe uh, who Paul would speak the words, and then the scribe would actually write them down, a secretary. And uh, at the, what happened is, is that uh, there were people that were coming behind Paul, like I said, who were trying to uh, undermine his authority and his teachings, and they were writing letters, and they were doing, writing these letters in the name of Paul. And so one of the one of the ways that we could identify a letter as original from Paul is that he would write a portion of it, and they knew what Paul's handwriting looked like, and they could know it was from him. So that's one of the reasons that he wrote this. Another uh, thought people have about why he would say he wrote it with large letters is because you know Paul had a thorn in the flesh or a malady. We don't know if it was caused by you know his experience on the road to Damascus or not, but he, had, uh, he more than likely had a eyesight problem. And so because he had a hard time seeing, he, had, he actually wrote largely because that's the only way he could do it because he had a hard time seeing. But most people believe that the reason he said this and the reason he actually did this is that it's like this. Have you ever received an email where somebody used all caps? Yeah, when somebody sent you an email with all caps, it feels like they're what? Ye- yelling or shouting. So that's what Paul is doing here. He's shouting. He has so much passion. He says this is so important. I'm going to end my letter this way, and I don't want you to miss what I'm what I'm about to say. And so, what I want to do is I'm going to look at Paul's words today that he said these are so important. I'm so passionate about this. We're going to look at it under the concept of what do we boast in, and we're going to look at three crucial questions that we need to ask ourselves based upon these verses. And the first one is this: you want to write it down. What is my core motivation? What are my core motives for boasting? What leads me to be a person who boasts, and what am I boasting in? So we have to remember that Paul has been refuting the belief that we can earn God's approval by what we do for God. So refuting this, that we earn God's approval by what we do for him. And what he's doing, he's making it clear that we have God's approval by what God did for us, through the cross, through Jesus, that we're we looked at this in great depth for several weeks, that we made right with God by what Jesus did on the cross. That God declares it that way. And then now we understand that God loves me unconditionally, God loves me infinitely, and that God demonstrated his love when that moment when he sent Jesus Christ to die for me in the cross. And when I understand that, now out of gratitude for that, with that understanding that He did for me what I couldn't do. Now I'm motivated to live my life for him. So Paul is saying what these Judaizers are trying to get you to do, it sounds reasonable. It sounds logical. It even sounds holy. But if you follow them and the logic that they're using, that you will only end up miserable... And part of your misery will be your life spent boasting in what you did on your own, what you did on your own. So I want you to listen to what Paul is saying in these verses, verse 12 and 13. I want to go back and read those. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh, so this is the motive, who would force you to be circumcised, so you, be, you I want to make a good showing for what, you know, how I'm living, so I'm going to force you to be circumcised, and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. So there was persecution coming for those who were believing in the cross. For even those who are circumcised, do not themselves keep the law. Notice that. We're going to talk about that in a minute. But they desire you to be circumcised, that they may boast in your flesh. They're saying, you be circumcised because I, I can't keep the law, and if you're circumcised, I feel better about myself, and I can boast in that. So that's basically what they're saying here. He's describing, he's identifying these Judaizers who just basically their whole desire was to make a good showing in the flesh by their outward behavior or appearance. And the underlying motive is this, wanting to make a good impression on others, wanting to make a good impression on others. So they were all about the way they looked so that they could win the praise of their specific subgroup. Or the, you know, the club that they were in, getting kudos from other people who are like you, basically. So, folks, I just, you know, I read this and I'm just in dismay that this could have been their thinking. But then, at the same time, at some level, I believe we're all guilty of this at some level. Now, how do I know? How do I know? Because I continually find myself fighting the battle with my motives. Am I doing this for the approval of others? Or am I doing this for the approval of God out of gratitude for what he 's done? and I had this experience this morning this morning i 'm laying in bed and I have all the windows open in our house, and it 's like only fifty one degrees it 's beautiful. I have the fan still the ceiling fan still going i 'm laying there in bed and under the covers because it was just that way, and sound asleep, and all of a sudden, I heard. Kim's alarm going off. And so as her alarm's going off, I'm in alarm. Because what I realized is if her alarm's going off, I've missed mine. (laughs) And truth is that somehow I I have no idea how this happened. I set my alarm for the wrong time. And so instead of setting it for 4 o'clock, I'd set it for 8 o'clock. I don't know how that works, but I'd set it for 8 o'clock. So her alarm's going off. I knew I was in big trouble. And so my first thought was to have alarm because it, my schedule is, uh, her alarm went off at 5.30. And so my schedule is, from, I get up at 4. From 4 to 5.30 is when I spend the final moments on my message, where I come before God, I pray, I fine-tune, I get it inside so I can really own it. And so I now am in panic mode because I'm not going to get that hour and a half, and I'll just be really honest my first thought was, I'm not going to do very well today. And my first thought was, after that, because I've not had my time to give to this, are they going to like it? Are they going to like me? Honestly, that was my first thought. as I'm just laying there in bed as I'm getting up. And so we all struggle with this. We all struggle with this. Thing, am I going to be able to have the approval of others? And so, just it's in all of us. And so, the motive that we want to have instead of am I going to be able to please others is the motive is how can I be a blessing to others and trust him based on what he's given me to be able to be used by him for his glory and not for mine? Basically, that's the motive. And he wants his readers to know hey, guess what? Legalism does not work. Because he said, even those who are circumcised, they do not keep the law. He's talking about, right here, the deep, dark secrets of legalistic religion. And I'll just say it this way. Legalism does not work. Keeping rules does not keep you from envying. Keeping rules does not keep you from thinking greedy thoughts. Keeping rules does not make you more loving. It doesn't make you more generous. It doesn't keep you from lusting. It doesn't keep you from waking up and being afraid of whether people are going to approve of your talk or not. Keeping rules doesn't do that. It really Keeping rules does not change you on the inside. And I just want you to hear me on this. You will never have consistent external change and transformation without an inner change being accomplished by the grace of God in your life. If your motivation is to gain the approval of God and others, you will end up full of anger and you will end up hating yourself because of your own hypocrisy. And that was what's happening with these judaizers but then what happens is and i think it gets even worse at this point because you haven't measured up to what you think the rules of religion of the religion are what you do what can happen is that you push others to keep the rules so that when they keep the rules you feel better about yourself that's the danger of religion You push others to keep the rules so that when they keep the rules, you'll feel better about your own failures. And that's what's happening as Paul's writing, and that was the motive. So here is the solution, and here it is. I will not boast in human achievement. I will not boast in human achievement. And with that word boast, the way I've used it there is talking about getting attention for myself by my achievement. So that's, not, that's the kind of boasting we don't want to do, the kind of boasting that brings attention to myself for my own achievements. So, that's not, so then what we want to do is go to the next level. So that's the second question is this, what is my core obsession? What is my core obsession? Or I would just say, you could say it another way, what is my core confidence or my core security? My obsession, or my confidence, or my security? And this is what he says in Verse 14. Far be it from me to boast, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Now, it's very difficult to translate this into English. Uh, from the Greek and really get the full forcefulness of exactly what Paul's saying here. But if we could, it would be something like this. It would be, may I never, never, ever, ever, in any way, under any circumstance, at any time, whatsoever, ever, never, never boast in anything except the cross. That's how strongly he's saying this. Nothing except the cross. Now, you have to understand that as he wrote this... This was radical because the cross in Jesus' day and Paul's day, it was not accepted as jewelry to be worn around your neck or to be tattooed on your Body in some way, or for me to be worn on my wrist. This, you didn't do that. The cross was an instrument of death, an instrument of shame. And in fact, Romans, the, the in Roman government, would not allow their own citizens to be crucified on a cross. And if you look at even the Jewish writings, it talks about uh, those who were died on a cross, uh, on, on a piece of wood, that they were to be, uh, ostr- you know, that wasn't to be looked up to in any way. And so what it's saying is this is that saying is that the symbol of the cross is a symbol and this is what makes it amazing. I'm going to glory in the symbol of a symbol of impotence. That's what the cross showed. Cuz it shows the impotence of my ab- abilities to do anything about my condition. The cross means I can't save myself. The cross means my religion doesn't save me. The cross means my worship doesn't save me. Cross means my good needs don't save me. So the cross is offensive, and it's offensive today. The cross is offensive because what it says is, I need help. I need help. The cross represents my inability to save myself, and it's a slam against my pride. But the beauty of the cross is the cross represents freedom, it represents joy, it represents life when I can embrace what the cross has been for me. So another thing that Paul talks about in these, he's talking about the whole idea of us boasting in what we can do to gain, you know, gain the approval in others, that that's what they're going to do. So here's the boast. The boast is here, first one is I will not boast in human achievement, the boast here is I will boast in divine accomplishment. So that's what the cross is. I will boast in divine accomplishment. And when I live... Just like I said, if I'm living in the system of human achievement, then everything's all stressful. I'm tired. I'm worn out. I can't do enough. I can't do enough. Nothing's ever going to work. I feel bad about myself. I get angry. I point my fingers to others. It's their fault. It's their fault. And I get all pressurized and say, everybody needs to conform to the rules because you're trying to feel better about myself. So that's the kind of system. But in a system of divine accomplishment, everyone's more relaxed. They have more joy because they know this. They know they're not perfect. And they know that their only hope is to throw themselves on the mercy of God. And so that's what Paul's calling us to do. And here's why this is so important for us. And the reason I'm calling this series Pursuing the Grace Life and why it's so important to live in a grace-based system is this. In a grace-based system, imperfect people are welcomed. In a rules-based system, only the people who are perfect are accepted. So in a rules-based system, people who are imperfect come in, they look around, and they just say, "Eh, this place isn't for me. But in a grace-based system, they look around and they think, my gosh, if they can be here, I can be here. Because imperfect people belong here. And so they realize that it is a place. I wrote in my email blast, and I should encourage you. Uh, I send an email blast every week, and I know some of you have unsubscribed to me. Now's the time to subscribe again, okay? Just try it out. And then some of you need to get it out of your trash and read last week's, okay? You didn't read it, just went right to the delete. Uh, but here's what I wrote it's, it's a, we've used this a lot as a church. The church is not a haven for saints, the church is a hospital for sinners. And that's been true about our church since the beginning. Is that our belief in that? And uh, I know there are people here who I will remember the very first time I said that, and that's why they chose Twin Cities, that this, they wanted to be part of a church. It's a hospital for sinners. So the word boast that Paul uses, so distinguishing from the boasting that we do about human accomplishment, the boast that Paul uses here means to draw attention to something else bigger and greater than myself. And uh, one of the commentaries I've been reading in this series is by a man named John Stott. And he defines boasting this way He says, To boast means to glory in, to trust in, to rejoice in, to revel in, to live for. The object of our boast or glory fills our horizons, engrosses our attention, and absorbs our time and energy. In a word, our glory, our boast is our obsession. So that's what Paul is saying. That word boast, it means to live my life in such a way that shows that I'm obsessed with the cross of Jesus Christ. And that's what Paul is doing. Paul is captivated by the cross and he wanted everyone to place their hope in the cross. Okay? And so that brings us down to the final question. And the final question is this, what is my core identity? What is my core identity? And Paul describes that in verses 15 and 17. He says, For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision counts, but a new creation. Circle that, new creation. And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them, upon the Israel of God. Circle that, the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. So what, according to Paul, is our identity when we live in the grace-based system when we've been accepted by God because of what Jesus did. The first thing is, I am a new creation. I am a new creation. And the new creation is all about what has happened on the inside, not the outside. Now our identity, our purpose, our values, they all are wrapped up in what Jesus did for us on the cross. And in a rules-based system, a rules-based system says that you have to change the outside, so it all becomes about image management. And anytime you try the image management approach, I'm just going to say that it won't work, and it won't change the inside. The inside's changed by my realization of what Christ has done for me, and then now my inside becomes, begins to change, and that just kind of oozes out, and the outside is different because of what the Spirit is doing in me. And so what we want to do here, our approval is this. I boast in divine approval because I've been identified with him. I boast in divine approval. Now, I missed the second reason of our identity there. And the second reason was, he says, I am the Israel of God. Now, Israel is God's set-apart people. And so they would see themselves as being special. What God has done here through the cross, and this is what Paul was teaching and what he was bringing to the people outside of the Israeli Israeli faith, as he was saying that you are now becoming to collectively the chosen people of God. And so now when I am yes in Jesus, I am part of the chosen people of God. And as we looked at in depth, in the, in the message we did on adoption, that now I am his, a son or daughter of the Most High God. I am part of the family of God. That's what that phrase, the Israel of God, means. I'm part of the family of God. And therefore, because I have a new identity, because of what he's doing, and because I'm now part of a new family, that I will boast in the divine approval I have from him. I'm going to make it my constant boast that I can boast in the fact That what Jesus did on the cross made it possible for me to be in relationship with God, for me to know grace, for me to live the grace life, for me to influence my world out of the joy that I'm experiencing because of what Jesus has done for me. And that brings us to the point where we're going to have communion together, where we're going to experience what Jesus did for us on the cross. And so what I want to ask is um, that we're going to have a time of prayer. I'm going to ask our ushers to go ahead and move into place and for them to get ready in their spots uh, to service. And then what I want to do is lead us in a, prayer, a time of prayer. And then after that, we'll uh, observe our communion moments together. And what we're going to do is we're going to serve it. And as we serve it, I'm going to ask you to hold on to your bread. I'm going to ask you to hold on to your juice until we're all served. And then we're going to have communion together. And then we're going to end that communion time with a song we're going to sing about focusing and boasting in the cross Alone, So if you just listen to me pray, ushers stand in place. God, I thank you so much for this opportunity to come before you and thank you for grace. As we come before the, the table of your mercy of your son, I pray that you would speak to every one of us. And Lord, I know there are people in the room that have never said yes to Jesus. And that they would like to have communion in a way that... As in response to what you've done for them. And so if you would, you can just say with me like this in your mind, Jesus, as much as I understand this today, I need this. I need a hospital for people like me. I need to be healed. I need to be made whole. And so, Jesus, I would receive what you've done for me. I admit I'm broken. I admit I've sinned. And I now humble myself and come to the cross to receive... Through you, what I could never do on my own, and that is acceptance and forgiveness by a holy God. And Jesus, I pray now, and this would be all over the, pr- the prayer for all of us, is that we would live life consistent with grace. Live life consistent with the fact that we've been redeemed and the joy that we know in our hearts because of what you've done for us. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So Rushers are going to serve now. And then at the end of that, we'll have our communion moment together. I'm going to ask that you not talk to the people around you, but you let them have their own space and their own moment. We have a verse on the screen that you'll be able to look at if you want some ways to meditate in the time we have together. So before Jesus was crucified, he came to those who were as close to him. And the first thing he said was, I've really longed for this moment. So help us to know that, that right now, through grace, that Jesus is right here. And he's longing for this moment that each one of us experience him. And he said to his disciples, they didn't understand what was happening, but we do. And he broke the bread that would be typical uh, for the meal they were having, and then he passed it around. And he said to them that they would eat this bread. And as they eat it, that they would remember that this is his body, which was broken. And what we understand is, is that brokenness meant that on Jesus' body, he took all the punishment, the penalty for the sins of the world. He took your penalty. And that body was broken for you. So if you eat this, this thing, Jesus. Jesus And then it came time for them to drink and he said to them that this juice that represents the forming of a new covenant between God and his people that this solidified the covenant And so what we know is what that means is that there would no longer need to be rules and regulations to be brought into God's kingdom and his family, but it was through the shedding of his blood that we were brought into relationship with him. And so let's drink this and let's thank Jesus. And as we come to the cross and we look at it and we think about it, we just want to just end this moment by joining in with Brian and our team as we sing together uh, when I survey the wondrous cross and I place my boast only in it. And where I survey the Thank you. And were the whole realm of nature mine That were an offering of too small Come well, on, sing this out. thank you that you went to the cross for us and we stand in awe stand in awe of what you did and that we would say to you today we boast in you we boast in your cross We glory it fills the horizons with wonder it fills our hearts it changes us we thank you now let us live as people of grace